This is an AMI podcast. Have you ever wanted to find out some of the things we do and say on commercial breaks? Well, you're about to hear some things you've never heard before on the neutral zone. Be warned, as the saying goes on our show, you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Viewer discretion is advised. We'll do it live. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly! This the most scenic, unbelievable, is the most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. A neutral zone. It's oh my goodness! Hey, what's going on, folks? It's uh, 11 a.m., which of course means one thing: it's another edition of the Neutral Zone. This week, I'm joined by Dave Rekavina, Cam Jenkins, and in our control room, of course, is Jeff Ryman. Gentlemen, how are we doing? You know, you you always have to feel good after that intro and fired up, you know, and you remember that. I think it was just you and I in the studio. I think it was a month or so ago. Yes. And, uh, you know, when I went on that little roll uh, right after. But, I mean, that's, that, that's how you feel, you know, I mean... That, that, that to me is inspiring, uplifting, you know, it just uh, helps to raise this, raise the bar on this show every single week. Yeah, I always, it's funny you say that because I always feel like when I'm about to be like, hey, we're on for another, it always gives me that extra little push to go, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's, I, I enjoy it very much, yeah. So that's uh, Derek Wellsman who did that wonderful intro and we appreciate him. I was thinking maybe soon it's uh, time to get him to do another one, but it's so good that I don't know if I want to uh, change keep, it yet. Yeah, keep rolling with that one for a while. Cam, how you doing? Fantastic as always. Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. I wasn't convinced with you. Fantastic as always. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> you know I'm, what? I'm I, here. I'm here. I think I'm going to miss That's Brett a, good start a little to the bit. Day. This week, just what? because remember, oh, like, don't do that. Don't oh, do that. I know, I know. I'm not gonna. I know, I'm not gonna hear the end of it. <laughs> for God's sakes! But I think one of my favorite things was just at the end of every show. It seems that it comes out with some breaking news. And last week, I forget what it was. <laughs> Nick Patan, Nick Patan, being in the starting lineup or Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, okay, you know, like it's Nick Patan. We were just to Patan, but like, why does it have to be? Like, he's, He's like raising his hand. He's like, "Oh, me, oh, pick yeah, me, pick yeah, me!" Yeah. Oh, breaking news! It's like, "Oh, okay, what is it?" Oh, Nick Patan. It's like, "Oh, come on, man!" But if I recall correctly, too, like, uh, didn't Nick Patan score a goal in the yeah, league game last Probably. Saturday night? So you know, maybe Brett was the, uh, maybe he knew something that we didn't. I don't know. But you know, folks, oh, he just got it's, lucky. It's, again, it's too bad that this show, like, you can't see the studio here because the look on Cam's face when we're talking about Brett. <laughs> Is just like, do we really have to go after here? the type of week I've had? Like, come on, <laughs> he's not even in the studio, and I got to deal with this guy now. Well, uh, you know, think of it this way: uh, for you know, for those of you who are of the Catholic religion, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. For those of you who aren't, they have this um, they have this concept where you kind of you know you you kind of go through misery on earth for a greater payback in the next life and the one of the ones is what they call a plenary indulgence for 7 years and it's kind of i guess it'd be uh, I guess you could say kind of the equivalent of a get-out-of-jail card, you know, if you're playing Monopoly sort of thing that, you know, you're supposed to have seven years less in purgatory after you die because of all the trials and tribulations you suffered on Earth. So you get to credit that at the end. So, you know, Cam, maybe there's something like that ahead for you down the road. Uh, you lost me at religion, I think, is when you lost me. Well, normally, I don't talk about religion, but it just kind of flashed into my mind. And, you know, and, and a, I can see the wheels turning in his head going... I've dealt with Brett for a lot longer than seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, maybe you'll get yeah. 70 years plenary indulgence uh, in this case. Anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah, last week it was, we were talking about it before we went on air, and it's like I look up at the clock, it's like, you know, 57, and he's 30 seconds left, and he's raising his hand, and then I'm thinking, okay, now i got to get through the exit. Uh, yeah, for Nick Patan in the lineup. So 
Next week we've got to do the pickled onion thing. He's got to he's got to pay on the pickled onion. I gotta check oh. if those things are still in the fridge. I, I'm not even sure. I I bought them whenever I did. <laughs> that like, was last months. fall. That was like Juicy. September, October. If they're it? rotten, that's better. I feel. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I think so. It's more well. disgusting. This week, actually, I tweeted out as far as uh, for uh, Brett's next bet. Um, I think it was over in China. They have a machine that uh, men can use to um, know what it feels like to have a pregnancy test. Oh, and I tweeted yeah. that. So if you want to see oh. that, um, check out my uh, Twitter page or uh, wow. tweets at, uh, at Neutral Zone Cam J. And it was, if you followed the thread of all the guys and the excruciating pain and screaming that they were doing, I think we need to wheel that into the studio for the next uh, bet uh Bet Brett loses. Say that five times real quick, and hook him up to that machine, and let's uh, hear him squeal. Andy Frank and I were talking about the pickled onions earlier today as well, and we're thinking that, like, with all the bets that Brett has lost in the past couple of months, I think from the Super Bowl onward up until present day, you should just be quiet, not say anything. (laughs) That's one piece of advice for him, but I think he. He actually needs to just finish the whole jar because oh. I, I feel like he's bet so many, and he's I don't know. Gotta, he takes great pride, oh. and he's like, "I will bet he's, a pickled onion on this." He's got to like, do eight, eight oh. based upon his uh. last bet. So that's um, anyway, folks. If we keep this up, I'm, I may have to duck out of the studio. This yeah. is oh. I've already been upset to my stomach in the uh, garbage can. So. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Can you oh. take that out during the commercial break? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I'll try to. I want to talk, before we go to break, I want to talk about a uh, triant sledge hockey day happening in uh, 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 Richmond Hill. The address is um, 1300 Aaron Mills East, and it's happening Tuesday, March 12th. And Thursday, March fourteenth, uh, and it's from three thirty to four thirty, and it literally is come out, try the sledge, try the game. If you're a person who is interested in trying it, this would be a good opportunity. I know cruisers have done this many a times. Cam, what can you expect on a day like where you can just come out and try an event like this? I I think it's great, um, especially for able-bodied athletes to be able to try something like this. And because it really shows them how sledge hockey is played and how much upper body strength that it actually takes because um, cruisers have done a few um, triad sledges where able-bodied people have gone in sledges and they have, um, that's the first comment they always make is, I can't believe how much upper body strength it takes in order to play this game. So uh, I think it's a, you know, just the idea of uh, inclusion and um, getting people out to um you know, hang out with the, um, you know, disabled community and the able uh, able-bodied community coming together and being able to. You got a whole um, bunch of mouthfuls coming. Yeah, out. I know. <laughs> man, it's, man, it's Saturday. What can I say? Uh, yeah, I just think it's a great uh, and inclusive an inclusive event um, where um, kind of two um, um, parties can come together and be able to uh, try it out, and um, so they can kind of appreciate. Uh, um, you know, disabled sports or specifically sledge hockey. Would this be the equivalent of, uh, I guess, sledge hockey shinny? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, and I don't know if they're going to be having a, a game per se. Sometimes with a, a try at sledge event, it's a matter of, you know, just kind of getting used to playing sledge. So I don't know if they're going to have an actual game. They probably will, maybe. But I almost get the impression that it's sort of like uh, an open skate uh, mm-hmm. hour or so just to kind of get the feel uh, for sledge hockey. So it's uh, they probably would have most places when you do that sort of thing. The last 20 minutes, they throw together a game and, you yeah, know. A game just so you can yeah. feel the puck and see right. how it is. And right. I think it's a great, uh, you know, even for um, non-able-bodied people to try it out because then they may want to join uh, the league or join one of the teams and be able to play it. So I think it's a great idea to have those so uh, people can try it out because it can be expensive to pay for a whole year. And then if you don't end up liking it, it's good to yeah. have these events. So again, the... Uh, arena is the Tom Graham Arena, 1300 Aaron Mills Road East in Richmond Hill, Ontario, Tuesday, March 12th, and Thursday, March 14th from 3.30 to 4.30. Absolutely zero um, experience is necessary. 
Yeah. Actually, um, the uh, man behind the glass, Jeff, uh, do you have some uh, breaking news music that you can uh, flip on there real quick? I can try to find some. Oh, no. Because I uh, have some uh, breaking news here. Uh-oh. One oh. sec. I need, a, I need to find some. I, need, I can, I can just give you... That works. So the breaking news is that so far... Brad has tweeted me three times during the segment, so... Okay. Let's, um... Do, do you want to dignify those tweets with uh, reading them on air, or do we just want to proceed? Um, well, I'll do the one about, uh, someone misses me. Uh, Patana's played great, LOL. <laughs> okay. On that note, someone misses you, but he's behind the glass, and he doesn't miss you that much, because he's still going to provide you with spoiled pickled onions uh, in a couple of weeks. I feel like we should do one of those pickled onions at the blind hockey tournament. I feel like I feel like that should Oh, for sure, that'd be good. I feel like have a crowd gathered around. I feel like that should be a thing. Facebook Live, we should uh, <laughs> we should just just go yeah. about this, you know? Facebook Live? I think so. By the way, if we have breaking news, I found a a, a great bed. So, whenever you Perfect. have breaking news, just give me the I'll and give you can, the uh, fake In Brett style, will put her hand yeah. up. Hey, can we not, can we not do thing. it with like 30 seconds to go with the show, folks? Like, <laughs> I'll give you 35 seconds. Okay, Brock. good. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, coming up next, we're going to speak about the retirement of Jerome McGinley. He was a uh, great hockey player, not only in Calgary, but uh, Canada-wide. I got some stats I'm going to share with you right after the break here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the breaking news edition of the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave Recavina, Cam Jenkins, and Jeff Ryman. We'll see if we got any more uh, breaking news later on in the show that we can pass your way. Um, Jerome McGinley's number was retired uh, last Saturday. Um, before we discuss the great career of Jerome McGinley, I'm going to give you some um, statistics that stood out to me. So he played from um, 1996 to 2017. His teams included primarily Calgary, obviously, Colorado, and the LA Kings. He had 1,554 games played. He had 625 uh, goals and 675 assists. Total points, 1,300. Uh, we don't stop there, though, because he participated in three Olympic Games, 2002 winning a silver medal, 2006 winning a silver medal, and 2010 winning a gold medal, and having basically every trophy you can think of except for the Stanley Cup. What stands out to you guys when you think of Jerome McGinley? Dave, start with you. Jerome McGinley, to me, was probably the closest thing I've ever seen to Gordie Howe. Uh, since Gordie Howe retired, uh, since he left the NHL, you know he was a um, he was a tough player. He could do it all, though. He could score goals. He could play a two hundred foot game, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't afraid of dropping the gloves. Uh, if, you know, if the situation required it, and when he did, he more than held his own. So you know, he was. Uh, you hate to use the term the complete player, but you know, again, it was probably as close to that as you could get. Cam. What I'll remember about uh, Jerome McGinley is that he was Captain Calgary, first and foremost. Um, but it's also what he did off of uh, the hockey rink that kind of impresses me. Uh, he was the 2004 King Clancy Trophy uh, for noteworthy humanitarian uh, contributions. And he donated $2,000 for every goal scored to help suit up underprivileged kids in hockey. Uh, equipment uh, to pay for and to pay for their league fees. So um, he always uh, there's stories of him kind of going out to the bus uh, 15, 20 minutes early, and he would sign autographs for each and every fan, whether it was at home or whether it was uh, on the road. Um, so he was a great role model, and uh, he's probably one of the first black. Um, hockey greats or um, most notable hockey players uh, as well. And he didn't have a lot of um, 
you know, block hockey players to look up to. You know, there was Grant Fuhr, but he was a goalie. He didn't play out. But um, I think um, of the most uh, um, games played by um, a block hockey player, that was uh, Tony uh, McKegney, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I believe he Tony played McKegney. around 1,000. Um, yeah, was... yes, he did, yeah. yeah. Somewhere's around there, yeah. yeah and Claude Vilgrain and uh, um, Dale Craigwell as well. So, um, but he never, uh, like, he, he mentioned about um, being a black player however it was never an issue for him and when people um when he was growing up they just kind of said uh not in a bad way but as far as well there aren't a lot of black hockey players so how do you think that you're going to make it um you know being able to play in the nhl and he kind of used that as motivation but uh he did mention in an article that he never um saw it as um you know um it being a bad thing, they were just kind of questioning as far as, well, how are you going to be able to make it with not a lot of black hockey players? So, um, and you don't see that a lot. You see, you know, a lot of players and how they say that they, um, being a black hockey player, they were, um, you know, um, discriminated against, I guess is the word that I'm looking at. But even in articles, it talks about how he wasn't discriminated on the ice. So... No, and I think it speaks to the human being that he was. I mean, yeah, that guy has loads of character. Oh, loads and, and loads and, of character, yeah. and just what you said about you know being off the ice and signing autographs and stuff like that—that's uh, a really great thing. And to get a a humanitarian award, even though it's not necessarily a hockey award, that's got to be one of the most uh, prideful awards that you can get outside of hockey is to recognize you what you've done off the ice. Jeff, thoughts on Jerome McGillan? Yeah, he was one of my favorite hockey players growing up. And like Dave mentioned, he was one of those well-rounded, complete hockey players. And for the longest time, you would always say he is the typical Canadian hockey player where mm-hmm. he scores yes. goals, he gets assists, he's a leader, he's classful on and off the ice, and he can stand up for himself and be rough and tough if he so needs and has the leadership skills to uh, lead a team deep into the playoffs like he did with Calgary. I'm just sort of disappointed. I'm sure he's disappointed that he never ended up getting that Stanley Cup. They did get to came, the final, right? They did, uh, yeah, against, against Tampa, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in that uh, series, um, the defense corps, as I understand it, was kind of depleted, wasn't doing very well. And he had the series as his lifetime, and that's when he uh, fought um, Vincent LeCavalier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was so fun to watch. And, I mean, Jerome McGinley, two-time 50-goal scorer, uh, he's got all the stats to back him as a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer no matter what, even if people say, well, he doesn't have the Stanley Cup. I don't care. Exactly. <laughs> this guy has how many gold medals at different tournaments? Uh, he's had World junior success. World like junior just... success, uh, world championship yeah. success. Yeah. Obviously, the Olympic success, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy that he played over 1,500 games. But the one stat that sticks out to me is he had exactly 1,300 points. I'm so happy he got that <laughs> rather than the 1,299 <laughs> because that just hurts me. When somebody is just one point, or even in the NFL, if you're one yard shy of hitting a thousand or or something, so I'm I'm really happy that that he was able to get 1,300. And just to show his well-rounded, uh, his well-roundedness, if you will, is that he had 625 career goals and 675 career assists. So mm-hmm. obviously obviously could score the score the, uh, in the NHL. Was it, was it was a great facilitator as well and had over 1,000 career penalty minutes. So he was just the complete package and just one of my favorite players. 1,000 penalty minutes, eh? I yeah. Didn't. And a lot of people say, well, Ryan Smith, wasn't he considered Captain Canada or what was it um, when he was in Edmonton? Yeah. Yeah. And I really think it should be a Ginla because oh, absolutely. for the oh, World yeah. Juniors, absolutely. when they won the World Juniors, he uh, helped uh, net a couple of goals or it was a couple of assists assists for the winning goals for the junior hockey championship. And I think just before that junior hockey uh, championships, that's when he was traded from Dallas to Calgary for Joe Newendike. Yep. And in those days they were going Jerome who? Well, I think they pretty well know who Jerome is now. It's, after it's crazy. Cause yeah, you're games. right. I think a lot of people totally forget that he was drafted by the Dallas stars 11th overall in exactly. that 95 draft and then traded away. Never ended up playing a game for Dallas. 
I think that's one of the best trades in NHL history as far as for value for value as well. And I think, too, and it goes back to even today, a lot of people, when you go to the World Juniors, we're all like, who are we talking about? With the exception of McDavid, Gretzky. A few guys. You know, those few that obviously you're going to stand out. But then after the World Juniors, their name is sort of cemented into the NHL. So this is uh, another case where that is to be true. Yeah, and I think for international competition, suiting up for Team Canada, like he was actually born to do this because he was born on July 1st, Canada Day. And Iggy, he made the pass that led to the golden goal. And so imagine being on July 1st, Canada Day, and you set up Sidney Crosby for the golden goal to get that gold medal. And was that the first gold medal they had in 50 years in 2010, or was that before? No, I think it was the Salt Lake City. 2002, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that golden goal was, honestly, in my opinion, in my lifetime, it was, it's probably, and like I said, in my lifetime, it was the best sporting moment I think I ever witnessed live. Absolutely. And Jerome McGinley being born on Canada Day in Vancouver, setting up the golden goal. Like, there's just some things in life that happen, and I think he was born for that moment. I will never forget the 2010 Olympic Games. We were, I was uh, competing at a bocce national championship, and it was the quote-unquote meeting day of the uh, gold medal game, and they put everybody in the same room and there was on a big projector and it was like one of the coolest viewing parties that I have ever uh, ever been a part of and I, I, the room just erupted. I don't think Jerome McGinley gets enough credit for what he did because we all look and say, oh, Sidney Crosby put the puck in the net, you know, Sid the Kid, blah, blah, blah. No, no, Jerome McGinley set that up and Sidney Crosby was extremely quiet that whole tournament, except for when it mattered the most um, at the end. I want to switch gears and sort of sticking with Calgary, discuss the fact that they beat Toronto. And for all my Calgary Flames fans, Nana Nabubu, Toronto won 6-2, although some would argue that it was probably a bit closer than that. If you are Calgary on this sort of downhill slide, are you concerned at this moment in time? Yes, you should be. Uh, I think San Jose is starting to emerge as the team to beat in that uh, in that Western Conference. Calgary had looked to be the number one team for a long time, but they didn't look particularly sharp this week, losing to the Leafs, then losing at Vegas, and losing at Arizona. Uh, and, and especially the Arizona loss, I thought, was significant because up to that game Thursday night, uh, they had absolutely owned the Coyotes. I think in three previous meetings this season, they had outscored Arizona something like 18-3. to three. Uh, so I think they're you know this is not a not a time of the year when you want to be trending downward and plus the fact San Jose they're getting uh, production from every area of their lineup and whether Eric Carlson is uh, in the lineup <laughs> or not it, it doesn't matter yeah, yeah but it doesn't matter you know they're they're just uh, they're like the Timex watch you know they're just keeping on ticking I wonder if we spoke to our friend John Shannon this week if he would have a differing of opinion on the Calgary Flames because he uh, was pretty high on the Calgary Flames when we had him on and he said they would be my choice and I'm wondering now after watching a couple of games if he would change his tune. Jeff, where do you, like... Yeah, right. I, I, I completely agree with Dave. I mean, Calgary's on a four-game losing streak. They still sit atop the Western Conference at 89 <laughs> points, but San Jose is starting to make that push with three games. They're on a three-game win streak, and they've been doing it without Eric Carlson, which is kind of scary. So once you get one of those that, that one of the top defensemen in the league back in the lineup, it's only going to propel them even more. And I think at the beginning of this season, San Jose started off a little bit rocky, a little bit shaky, but in the last, you know, second half of the season here, they're really starting to push. So... They're one of those teams to watch. And same with Vegas. Vegas is on a five-game winning streak, and uh, they've looked pretty solid. And they played Calgary the other night, and they just completely dominated them in Vegas. So uh, I I think they play again sometime. uh, I think they play on Sunday, actually. Vegas is at Calgary tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be a rematch of what happened earlier this week. But 
Marc-Andre Fleury has just been spectacular. Oh, hasn't he? Uh, this this yeah. past, I mean, all season long, but all uh, the, the past couple of weeks, he was the player of the week. This last week had like a 0.33 goals against average and a 987 save percentage. Yeah, one, like, one, are one, you kidding? One goal okay. against in three games, I think it was. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And he's played, uh, they've played Marc-Andre Fleury a ton of games and people have always been like, should we play goalies on back-to-back nights? Do goalies play way too much? Oh, and that's that been the topic me. of discussion here in Toronto with Frederick Anderson, and it's been, I'm sure, back and forth between uh, a bunch of different teams too. And I think, I mean, look, just take a look at Vegas. Mark Andre Fleury at the sure. beginning of the year, people were thinking, is this guy too old? Is he uh, going to be able to play? When like he, he went has? to Vegas, they were throwing stones at him because, yep. well, look at what he did and didn't do in Pittsburgh and blah, blah, blah. Like th- this guy, Marc-Andre Fleury, has had a heck of a time trying to get recognized, and he almost won a Stanley Cup last year, which nobody expected. But, I mean, I would not count Vegas out whatsoever with what they've got going on. Yeah. Coming up next, we're going to speak about the Toronto Raptors. There's been a bit of... Uh, concerning times as Dave raises his eyebrows as I'm doing this exit. There's been a bit of concerning times with the Toronto Raptors. We'll discuss that, and maybe we'll talk a little more hockey. We'll see what else happens on the second half of the Neutral Zone. You're listening to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. Stay with us. Welcome to the Neutral Zone on A. Oh, whoa. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave, Jeff, and Cam. Uh, next week, programming note we are going to be here, uh, but it's going to be a bit of a different show as per um, not our usual program. We're going to have uh, the uh, broadcaster for blind hockey all over Canada, Nico Cardarelli. He's going to come and preview the uh, blind hockey uh, tournament, which is happening March 22nd to the 24th. And so it's going to be a great great program. Nico's going to come in studio, and we're going to sit and get to know him a little bit, get to know some of the players. going to be a great week next week, so look forward for that. And Brett will be back as well. Yes, I was going to make him do pickled onions next week, but uh, I don't want to uh, scare the guest away with the smell of the disgusting pickled onions that would be in the studio after eating eight of them in uh, an hour span. So Maybe we should bring a bottle of Listerine as well or scope or something. Yeah. I think he'll need a bottle of something else after that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, maybe eating the pickled onions will uh, do wonders for his breath. <laughs> oh, oh, shots fired. Oh. <laughs> we are giving... Brett way too much airtime on his off week, so we're just gonna. That's David's fault. Not feed his ego anymore. It's and all right, I got I got broad shoulders. You can you can you can lay it on me. We're gonna discuss the <laughs> Toronto Raptors, and I think this is gonna be a relatively intriguing conversation. The Toronto Raptors have kind of been through this uh, up and down phase. They um, lost to Detroit, and then they uh, lost to the Houston Rockets, and then they. Won yesterday against the uh, New Orleans Pelicans quite handily. Uh, Let's start with the Detroit game, though. Uh, Dwayne Casey made some comments after winning the um, first game against the Raptors, basically suggesting that the uh, schemes don't look any different and the personnel may be different, but the schemes don't. Then I kind of was like, okay, whatever. You just won a game against your old team, coach of the year, whatever. Then they won again, and I tuned into Dwayne Casey's post game, and he said basically the same thing. If you are a Toronto Raptor fan, would you be concerned if this turns out to be a first round matchup? Yes or no? Open the floor. Yes. Why? Definitely. Going into that game in Detroit last Sunday night, the Raptors had to know that they were going to be going into the Hornets' nest. And I don't know, especially in the first half, first quarter, 
if they really were aware of that or, or, or played that way. And Detroit was very physical with them and had their way at times. The Raptors, I think, largely because of better talent, were able to storm back into that game and were actually up, I think, late in the fourth quarter by five points. Failed to close the deal and then ended up losing in overtime. Now, you know, uh, I mean, everybody loses at one time or another. So, you know, it's not the loss so much that bothers me, but the way they lost. Similar type pattern to last Tuesday night against Houston at home, where Houston, I think, was up by 17 at the half. The Raptors, if I recall correctly, actually stormed back and led after three quarters, but then couldn't close the deal in the fourth quarter. And my biggest worry with the Raptors is that, yeah, okay, you know, you made these moves at the trade deadline and that's all good. And I'm still hearing the same party line, well, it's going to take time for everything to blend in, but it will. Well, you've had, you know, you've probably had, what, at least a month now with um, uh, Gasol and, and Lynn in the lineup. I, I'm not I'm not buying that anymore. I think a month is long enough to work out all the kinks and everything. And this team now, I think, is starting to slip slide behind Milwaukee. I think uh, after last night's games, there are three behind the Bucks in first in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and the other piece that sort of scares me with that is they have no more games against Milwaukee. So you're relying on a situation where the Raptors have to win and Milwaukee then subsequently has to lose. And it seems right now that the Raptors are winning when Milwaukee's winning and then winning and then losing, losing when, when Milwaukee's Milwaukee losing. Loses. So you're not gaining anything. Jeff, where are you? Actually, no, Cam, where are you on the... Sorry, Jeff. Uh, where are you on the Toronto Raptors? <laughs> are you afraid or where, where are I'm you? I'm definitely concerned if they have to go up against Detroit in the playoffs. Um, because I think Casey is right as far as if it's the same schemes. Um, he's able to nullify that, and that's why they're winning against the Raptors right now. And, you know, Casey wants nothing more than to beat the Raptors in the playoffs because then he can basically say, na 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 because he was there for five, six years and had winning records with the was Raptors the coach for of the so year, many years. Folks. Coach of the year, Last year, the year that he got fired, and basically Masai said, well, you took us this far, and you can only get us this far, and that's why we got rid of you, because you haven't been able to get us past, you know, into the finals or even into the conference finals, and wouldn't that just be the cat's meow if Casey beat the Raptors and him saying, oh, well, you didn't want me because I couldn't uh, get you past there, but nobody else can do it either. Jeff, if you are the Toronto fan base, what happens if Dwayne Casey beats the Toronto Raptors in a seven-game series? Does this place just go nuts? I think if the Raptors lose in general in the playoffs, they're going to be pretty ticked off. I mean, especially in the first round. It doesn't matter if it's against Dwayne Casey or not. They're going to be pretty ticked off because... We all know what happened last offseason where they traded away the franchise player and DeMar DeRozan brought in a guy by the name of Kawhi Leonard. And if they don't get out of the first round, that will be probably the most disappointing way to end the season in Toronto Raptors history, really. Because the last couple of years, everybody's been disappointed uh, with the, the results that have gone on in the playoffs. But they didn't have that superstar like Kawhi Leonard. And then you add a little bit of insult to injury if that is against the guy who was the coach of the year that you fired last year. I think that if that were to happen, Masai Ujiri would definitely be on the hot seat if he's not already, if things don't go well this year. But going back to your original question, should the Toronto Raptors or should Raptors fans be concerned if they play Detroit in the first round? I say absolutely not. And the reason why is because they do have a guy named Kawhi Leonard who didn't play in that game this past or last weekend, last Sunday I think it was. Uh, He didn't play because of load management. I am so so annoyed by this term with him. I just... Anyway, proceed, Jeff. But they're... Like I said, they they didn't have Kawhi Leonard in the lineup and In just a seven-game series, I do not think the Detroit Pistons have what it takes 
to beat the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors have depth, and they have a ton of it. Detroit has Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin. You can throw in Reggie Jackson if you want. But aside from that, <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you want, uh, Ish Smith yeah, too, I guess, that, if you really want. That's out of him. But I just don't think. I mean, maybe they might steal one or two games from the Raptors. But in a seven-game series, I do not think that Detroit has what it takes to beat the Raptors. And you're right. Even if Dwayne Casey says, "Hey, the schemes haven't changed a whole lot since I left," I don't think it matters. Like I said, the talent from the Toronto Raptors is really what's going to vault them over the Detroit Pistons if they face off in that first round. Now, Detroit, uh, they're 8-2 and two and are on, are on a four-game win streak currently, but the Raptors aren't doing horrible either. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, and the, that at least one of those losses has come with Kawhi Leonard out of the lineup. So uh, I'm not really concerned whatsoever. Who Honestly, who Toronto faces in the first round, yeah, I think they should be able to to beat whoever it is in the first round and make it to the second round pretty easily. Okay, so how far does this team have to go for Masai Ujiri not to be on the hot seat? What's the benchmark? I think think it has to at least be the conference final, if not the final. If they do not make it to the conference final, and even if they lose, if they get swept in the conference final, I think he's on the hot seat. They have to make yep. it remotely close, if not win that conference final, to make it, uh, or at least Masai Ujiri to make it to be uh, the president again next year. I love what Ujiri has done. I think he's done a great job, and change has been needed. Otherwise, they'd be stuck in that same rut they have been in the past couple of years. And I like how he's gone all in with his chips. But if they do not make it to basically the finals, or at least put up a good fight in the Eastern finals, then I think that's uh, there's a there's a good chance that he may not come back next year. Dave? Yeah, I agree uh, pretty much with everything Jeff said. Uh, the other thing, too, though, with the Raptors, sure, they might be 7-3 and three in their last 10. But look at those seven wins. And... They really weren't against anybody significant. To my mind, you can, like, say, for example, you know, New the Raptors. Yeah, yeah, they beat New Orleans. Big deal. You know, it's the same thing with the Leafs. You know, I mean, you can all gloat on about how they won in Edmonton. Uh, you know, <laughs> like I said, that's beating up the Girl Scouts as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, how do you do, like, say, you know, on the Leafs? How do you do against the Bruins? How do you do against Tampa Bay? You know, how do you do against Washington? These are the games that matter. You know, same thing with the Raptors. Now, you know, they've finished with Milwaukee quite some time ago, and I'm not sure. I don't think they have too many daunting foes uh, on, on their remaining schedule. But to me, the game at Detroit, because of the background surrounding it, the game against Houston, who's red hot in the Western Conference and who's got the hottest shooter in the league and James Harden uh, coming to town, those are games to me when, you know, the Raptors were sort of exposed. And, you know, th- those losses to me stick out way more than if they were to, you know, beat a New Orleans by 40 or 50 points. You know, again, like I say, it's like... Yeah, it's New know, Orleans. Yeah, it's beating up Girl Scouts again, you know. Easy. <laughs> With all due regard to the Girl Scouts. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yesterday was an international uh, Sorry, no, Day, no, so I think no we're going to have to get uh, no harm Dave intended. on Twitter here because I don't want to be having any uh, hate Twitters. Uh, so How, Cam, how important... Or actually, let me ask you this two-part question. First oh. of all, have they lost? Do I need no, to write this down so I don't forget? You can if you want. Thanks. Have they lost the number one seed with Milwaukee? Has Milwaukee clinched it? And how important is the is home court if they get to the conference final? Um, I think Milwaukee has clinched it with the type of team that they have and just how dominant that they're being. And home court advantage, um, you know, it seems to be very important and no matter what league that you're in, and I don't quite understand why. I don't know if it's because of 
um, you know, the fans in the stands and it's like the six-man uh, mentality and they really give that much of a boost. But in my opinion, if you're a superior team, you should be able to beat the other team, whether you have home court advantage or not. And in the NBA, more than any other sport, it's about matchups. So it's going to be a matter of who do they match up and it's a different type of game that's played in the playoffs. I also have one more thing to sort of add to this and the depth of the Toronto Raptors is that we've totally forgot about Fred Van Vliet, who's been out with a wrist injury the past couple of weeks. They've signed Jeremy Lin, who's been, I thought, has been very, very good with the Toronto Raptors running that second unit. And once they get Fred Van Vliet back, it just adds another body to that depth that I think that is really needed, especially at that point guard position with the way that Kyle Lowry plays, where Kyle Lowry, he's willing to take a charge against a guy like LeBron James, against a guy like Giannis. It's just, you know, it's good. For Fred Van Vliet, when's he coming back and how long is it going to take for him to get into game shape to get into the playoffs and be a a crucial player? Yeah, they said he's uh, probably about two weeks away potentially. So you're right, maybe conditioning could be an issue. But the thing about having Jeremy Lin is that you don't have to rush Freddie back into anything. You can sort of let him take on that third point guard role and let those guys push each other. And I remember when they first brought in Fred Van Vliet as an undrafted rookie free agent from Wichita State, they had Corey Joseph as the backup point guard. And those guys really, really pushed each other, and they learned off of each other. And I think Jeremy Lin will be that same type of guy that Corey Joseph was and is going to be able to push Fred Van Vliet to be the best that he can be. So I think that the Raptors, come playoff time, they're not only going to be deep, but they're going to be pretty sharp as well. I, I sure hope you're right, Jeff. I was just going to say I, I hope you're right too because I it's. Uh, I think Messiah can agree with that. The bench sanity or the we the fourth uh, kind of mentality. Uh, I just don't think they have the same kind of bench as they did last year. And uh, my pocketbook is uh, stretching again, very very slowly because oh, I yeah. put on that bet that said they are going to get to the conference final. So if they do not get to the conference final. We are all going back up for dinner, be or some. Yeah, I thought I made I a bet uh, something to do with that as well, or that was for the Raptors. Yeah. Jeff, bring up that breaking news. Yeah, uh, I should. Here we go. Ready? I've got it. Breaking news is the fact that I, if the Toronto Raptors do not make it to the conference final, and we're March. What is this? March eighth? March ninth? Uh, they are going to cost me. Another dinner with these fine four gentlemen in this uh, neutral zone to pay another dinner. So Mm. that's going to be a thing. Some of you may have thought I forgot about it. I have not. So that is the breaking news in my world that uh, is going on. And my girlfriend cannot stand when I make these bets because she says... You keep doing it, and you keep having to pay out. <laughs> Why don't you eat a pickled onion? And no, I said, no, no, no. I'm not that stupid to do that. So I think Brett may be smart, though, not paying for dinner or lunch. So. Uh, Brock, I commend you. You know, one thing I got to say about you, you, you're not scared to lay it on the line. No. Yeah, I, but I, kudos one, to you. The one thing about Brett is that, yeah, he may not be afraid to uh, make a bet, but I think that, you know, might be a little scary to his body after he adjusts <laughs> that pickled onion. Oh, I also lay. I'm just. I'm just putting this out there right now. I do not want to sit beside him for longer than about five minutes after he eats the pickled onions. It's just not not happening. So. Kamikaze breath. Back on your point, just before we wrap. Back on your point about I'm not afraid. I'm all. I'm not afraid to make <laughs> these bets because I'm not Masai Ujiri. I can put these bets on the table and not feel as though if I don't come true to make to make them be that I'm not going to be the GM because I'm not the GM of the Toronto Raptors. So yeah, you're only you're only going to be out a couple of hundred bucks as opposed to a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so it's, it's perfectly fine by me. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a break. Coming up next, we're going to uh, talk a little bit of baseball because the. Uh, 
clocks are jumping forward, which means that baseball is around the corner. We're going to talk about that right after the break here on the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. So I didn't know if you had made that bad or not. I thought you were getting confused with the one I made. No, no, I, I made it before you did. And oh, then did you? Okay. I made it at the beginning of the year. And then you made it, I think, around... Uh, around you guys the, forced me to. Yeah, because you hadn't made a bet yet. Exactly. So, I was just in the background in the weeds, just lying there. While all you other fools are making bets. So I'm going to do this a little differently than what it says on the script. Be and Jeff, has he made a bet? Uh, no. No. Well, he's made bets, but he's not put anything on it yet. I'll, I think I said at the, at the beginning of the year that I'll uh, think of something. I still haven't thought of something yet. You make a bet. You make a bet. We're all making bets. I mean, the Blue Jays season's coming up. Maybe I can do something there or for hockey playoffs. Or not. Or NBA or not. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to make a bet whether you're going to win the hockey pool? Oh, maybe. Who's oh. winning right now? Well, I've I've got a buy. Hey, well, don't say Brett. We've said his name enough this episode. No, he's he's we're into playoffs now. Like with the so he's on a buy with Jeff. No, he's not. Did he win? Brett's uh, he's facing somebody. Did, and did he win? Because it's Saturday. I don't know. I don't I know. It, it ends on Sundays, so we'll find out yeah. tomorrow night or Monday morning. Please, I hope he's not he's not winning because if he wins the pool, we'll never hear the end of that. I'm Jeff Ryman, and the news never stops. Just say what the script says. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, know. It's all, I just oh, it's always in my head. I don't know why. It's so funny because he's so not a news guy. I know. We could be talking about anything and everything. And I always like hear that. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins, Jeff Ryman, and Dave Recavina. We're trying to convince Jeff Ryman to make a bet, ladies and gentlemen. But he hasn't thought of something, so we're trying to do. He's, he's contemplating the, the the Toronto Blue Jays, but I would imagine he'd do like an over under on wins or something because they're they're not making the playoffs. So. <laughs> Come on, make the better than making the playoffs. Yeah, the other problem with that is too is you're not going to know that till on or about October the first. That's a long ways off. That's okay, Dave. You and that's I, with our track records, we'll, we'll have already had two dinners. By yeah, then. that's true. Hey, in all fairness, Brocky made that bet about the Toronto Raptors before the Raptors season started, and we won't know until yeah. yeah but that's only what 82 games. This is a 162 game season. Still over the course of a couple of months. It's still true. a long time. <laughs> they just play every day. Every day. All right. So I was reading this article on Sportsnet this week, and I kind of thought that it was a strange article because, let's be fair, we don't expect the Toronto Blue Jays to do a lot. But the article was uh, titled Five Toronto Blue Jays That Could Make Big Strides, and the big was in capital letters. Uh, let me list down the five players, and then we'll discuss which ones and why we think they're going to or not going to have a big year. So the first one on the list, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Stroman, who's not well-liked by certain people on this program, uh, Aaron Sanchez, Ken Giles, and L'Oreal Gertis Jr. is the other one. So that is the list of five people. Who on that list would you say is going to make big strides? And what are they if they're going to make big strides for the Toronto Blue Jays? I think all of them could make big strides. Uh, you know, actually... That's taking the easy way out. Well, Pick a some, player, any player. Some more than others. No, but for different reasons. Um, if I had to pick one, believe it or not, of those five, uh, my choice would be Aaron Sanchez. Uh, because he's you know been through heck the last two seasons. So far, he's been borderline dominant in spring training. You know, and now I realize that doesn't necessarily mean a lot, but it's better than you know th- th- than the opposite. You know, him continuing to struggle and still experiencing the finger blister issues and whatnot. So, 
I think, uh, you know, if Aaron Sanchez can get back to his 2016 form, uh, you know, maybe the Jays will have a chance to be respectable at least once every four days, uh, you know. But, I mean, having having said that, I think all five of these guys, the only guy I'm not completely sold on out of those five uh, would be Lourdes Gurriel because he's too hot and cold and... I don't know if that guy will ever learn the self-discipline to lay off bad pitches. I, I, I hope so. I hope for his sake. I hope for the Blue Jays' sake. He had that one torrid month, I think it was last July, where he hit 12 home runs and he had a slugging percentage, I think, well into the 600s. But, again, that was only one month. And I, I don't know if they can count on him as an everyday player. So, you know, now maybe that changes with uh, Devin Travis uh, going back on the disabled list now. and Or staying on the disabled list. You've got to start to wonder about that now. So, you know, all in all, uh, I, 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 I enjoyed reading that article, and especially the, uh, the last part when they saved Vladdy Guerrero for the end and the way they wrote him up. Uh, I, I thought that was, uh, uh, was kind of funny. We put out a poll this week, uh, which, well, actually, we did not. Cam put out a poll this week, which asked the question of who do you think is going to make the biggest strides? And uh, 23% of you said Vladdy. Uh, 15% of you said uh, Strosho. Uh, 38% of you said Sanchez. And 24% of you said Goriel Jr. So that's kind of where the listeners lay on that. Jeff, what do you say? Yeah, honestly, I, I kind of have a different opinion than, than Dave, and I honestly think that Guriel Jr. could be that guy to really look out for. He's 25 years old. He played his first full season or full first season in general in the big leagues last year, and he had a 281 average. He had 11 home runs, and he only played 65 games. He, I think the injury... He went down, I think, with a concussion. He got hit in the head, I think, in Chicago at some point in this season and just wasn't really the same afterwards. And uh, he just showed glimpses of, I think, you know, being a potential all-star and especially being at second base. Uh, his defense is solid. His offense seems to be uh, not bad. Dave mentioned that, you know, some pitches he needs to learn to lay off. But he's only 25 years old, like I said. He only played half a year, essentially, last year in his first uh, you're in the MLB. So I think he's one of those guys who I'm super excited to watch and see going forward. But obviously the obvious uh, candidate would be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But I also like Aaron Sanchez. I, I agree with Dave there that Sanchez has shown glimpses of being an ace, a true ace on any MLB roster essentially. And as long as he can stay healthy and get rid of those blister issues, I think that uh, he can get back to his all-star caliber. Cam? Well, with Vladdy, this is going to be his first year or um, year less minus, what, 20 games or whatever it is because of that uh, rule about uh, being called up in April to have a one more year of service time. So with him uh, basically being his first year, can he make a stride when he's never been in uh, Major League Baseball before? That's why I didn't, you know, include him in that category. Yeah, exactly. you, you don't have anything really to, you know, what is considered a, a stride there. So yeah. I would say Sanchez. Yeah. I'm also going Sanchez. I really have a feeling that these blisters are going to be a thing of the past, I hope. And so that's kind of where I sit. That is the end of our show, folks. I'd like to thank Dave Rukavina and Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technician, Jeff Ryman. Also, Matt Agnew. Our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. See you next week. Have a great rest of your weekend.